Mark 1. Conversations at the speed of sound. She was just to tell me about the newly formed WAF. She told us of two musterings. One was to be a mess steward or a wireless telegraphist. And I much preferred the idea of being a wireless telegraphist, but I had to be efficient at Morse code Hello and welcome to this episode of Mac One, the podcast of the Queensland Air Museum Caloundra. I'm your host, Gary. And you just heard a brief message in Morse code. And before that, the voice of 98-year-old Barbara Talanda, who served during the Second World War as a wireless telegraphist in the Women's Auxiliary Australian Air Force, known to most people as the WAF. She served throughout the war and was, in fact, on duty on the August day in 1945 when word began to come through that the war in the Pacific was over. I was chuffed to be able to sit down recently with Barbara to ask her to share a few recollections of her service in the WAF, and you're going to hear some of that in a moment. Before we do that, for our listeners who may not know, Morse code was the standardised communication system invented by Samuel Morse around 1837, and expanded and improved upon in the following decade. Now, most people these days are familiar with the fact that digital signals, digital messages, are nothing more than strings of ones and zeros. Well, Morse code communicates messages using dots and dashes, short and longer electrical pulses and the silences between them. These pulses were generated by tapping hand-operated transmitter sets, and the pulses were initially sent over great distances along telegraph wires, and eventually with the advent of radio they were transmitted wirelessly. The pulses, the dots and dashes, came to be described as dits and dars because that was how they sounded. Anyone who's watched an old movie might know that the distress signal SOS comes into Morse as dit 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 da 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 dit dit dit, three dots, three dashes, three dots for the letters S and O and S. Widespread use of Morse code in aviation began in the mid-1920s, and by the 1930s, both civilian and military pilots were required to be able to use Morse code, both for communication and for listening to identify navigational beacons that transmitted continuous identifiers in Morse code. All those dits and dars in the Morse message you heard a moment ago, spell out, welcome to the podcast. Now I asked Barbara if she remembered where she was in 1939 when she heard that war had been declared. It was during the final holidays of my school life. I was 16 
and um, we had one more term, I left school. I remember it was during the holidays and um, I heard it on the wireless. So straight out of high school and employed in secretarial work, Barbara began volunteering with the Women's Australian National Service, known as the WANS, and it was there that she heard a talk from a recruiting officer one evening for the newly formed Women's Auxiliary Australian Air Force, the WAF. That's right, the WANS. I was in the WANS. I was going in the evening to make camouflage nets. One evening, a lady in a navy blue Air Force was ushered in and um, she was just to tell me about the newly formed WAF. She told us of two musterings. One was to be a mess steward or a wireless telegraphist and I much preferred the idea of being a wireless telegraphist but I had to be uh, efficient at Morse code. They didn't teach you Morse code. They taught you how to be a telegraphist, provided you were efficient with Morse code. And uh, I was able to uh, go to Morse code lessons five evenings a week. I had at the time a job. uh, I had done a secretarial course and I must have been 18 by now or very close to it. I remember that the gentleman who was teaching it was Mr O'Brien. He was a a good teacher and uh, I was able to send it and receive it and so I was able to join the Air Force as a wireless telegraphist. Now, the WAF was formed in March of 1941 after considerable lobbying by women all over the place who were keen to serve and by the chief of the air staff, Charles Burnett, who wanted to release male personnel for frontline duties. The WAF was the largest of the wartime Australian women's services. In June 1941, Squadron Officer Claire Stevenson was appointed director and approximately 27,000 women enlisted in the WAF between 1941 and 1945. The WAF was disbanded in December 1947. After a stint in Melbourne for basic training, Barbara was posted to Townsville in North Queensland to begin WT work at Garbutt Airfield, which was to become one of Australia's major airfields during the war used by Australian and Dutch Air Forces, as well as by the United States Army Air Force. The base was officially established in October 1940, initially servicing RAAF Wirraway fighters, and then Hudson Light Bombers, and eventually, after a massive rapid expansion program in 1941, US Army Air Force B-17 Bombers. And of course, with the United States in the war following the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor on December the 7th, 1941, 
Australian and American troops began descending en masse on Townsville. There were uniforms everywhere. I had a job for a short time in Melbourne and then I was sent to Townsville where I was barracked in the, ta- in the hit- city. I don't remember very much when I was uh, communicating with other bases, uh, but I do remember having been situated in the city, being sent out to Garbutt Airport and then communicating with the aeroplane it wasn't the the pilots that we spoke to. We were speaking to the um, wireless telegraphists. It was after, I think I was there for about a year, barracked in what had been the convent. And we were shift workers. When I was sent out to the airport, well, we were in... Uh, the, the accommodation was on the, on the base... And, um, of course, we were all girls in the buildings that I was in. <laughs> the, the boys' buildings were separate. And we were sort of treated, expected to behave ourselves and um, we weren't given great sympathy because we had to make palliasses for ourselves to sleep on. But uh, everybody was the same. That was the wonderful thing. And I do not remember anybody that... And uh, it was worked out so that we'd, we'd have a week of day shift, a week of afternoon shift and a week of night shift and then a bit of a break and st- start over again. Boys from the Air Force or maybe from the other services were invited and we had a dance and... Um, One night I um, was about to go on duty and um, there was a young man who asked me to have a dance and I said, oh no, I was just going on duty. But he found out my name and uh, I got a phone call for him, from him. And later I married him. (laughs) At this point in the conversation... Barbara's daughter, who was in the room as we were recording, reminded her mum about the night that she was at a concert put on by the girls on a night off and how all of the WAFs had been warned, in no uncertain terms, that they were not permitted to wear jewellery. None at all. So one of the girls, in response to this oft-repeated directive, I can call them girls because many of them weren't even 21 years of age at the time. One of the girls came on stage during the concert and... It's just coming back and I can remember the no jewellery. She wasn't allowed to wear anything. Well, she came onto the stage not wearing anything. (laughs) That is the story, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, Well, but that was a very typical sort of sense of humour that uh, I think everybody had. I have memories of of the girls all being very kind, very pleasant. I don't remember any unpleasantness. To wrap up our conversation, I asked Barbara if she was on duty 
on the day that the end of the war in the Pacific was announced. She was stationed at Richmond Air Force Base by that time, and she concluded the conversation with her thoughts about the experience of serving during wartime in the WAF. Yes, I remember I was on duty that time because I couldn't... um show my excitement to think that we the war was over because I was mm. I was working and it just I just had to wait until the next girl came to take my place for the next eight, eight I think for eight hours I will say that I look back on my days in the Air Force we were all there for to help do what we could to help win the war. I look back and think I'm very glad that I um, was in the Air Force and to this day it's a delight to meet other people who were in the Air Force and particularly if they happen to be wireless telegraphers, WTs. you know, I, um, I'm only a year and a half away from a sen- being a century old, and um, I think I'm just, ever, you know, ever since the war, I've been glad that I was in a position to be in the Air Force during the war. So that was the delightful Barbara Talanda, a beautifully spoken lady. I just thought it was wonderful to hear her speak in her own voice and to reflect just a little on those years so long ago. So I was glad of the opportunity to spend a little bit of time with her that day. Now, if you were to come into the Queensland Air Museum in Caloundra, you would see in Hangar 1 we have a display especially dedicated to women in aviation. You'll see a display, for example, honouring Frieda Thompson, OBE who was a pioneer aviator and the first Australian woman to fly solo from the United Kingdom to Australia. You'll see a description and tribute to the first Australian woman to obtain an official pilot's licence. Her name was Millicent Bryant. And many others, including, of course, the incredible Nancy Bird Walton, who once said that she wanted to fly almost as soon as she could walk. She became a fully qualified pilot at the age of 19, the youngest Australian woman to gain a pilot's licence, and she was the founder and patron of the Australian Women's Pilots Association with a very long and stellar career as a pilot. And so come on down to the Queensland Air Museum, Caloundra, next time you get a chance, and ask the friendly front counter staff if they can point you in the direction of the Women in Aviation display, Have a look for yourself at uh, some of the photographs, the artefacts, the descriptions there. And that's a great great display to, uh, to enjoy. Thanks for listening today. It's been great to have your company for this episode of Mac One, the podcast of the Queensland Air Museum, Caloundra. Come and see us soon. Or if I could put it this way... 